It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the Chronicles of Nanio with the man who this show is named for. He is, of course, the resident stat nerd over at JetsXFactor.com, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, this is the time of year when you shine more than you ever shown before because this is when people are looking for stats on these draft picks and thankfully we have plenty of them you haven't been on the show for a while because you decided you weren't really going to do a lot of draft stuff before the draft you wanted to wait and see who the Jets picked so then you could really dig in on the actual draft picks well now you've dug in on them so really glad to have you on Michael scale of one to ten how do you think Joe Douglas did in this draft before we start to really dig under the hood I'm glad to be back on and I am very uh, excited about what Joe Douglas was able to do and uh, to get into these picks. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just really intrigued by all these guys. Uh, I think it's one of the most, you said it before. I think this is the most hopeful we've been after draft in a while, but if I were going to scale it from one to 10, I, I think I'd give them a solid eight. There are some things they did in the middle rounds that are a little, a little questionable, which of course at some point we'll get into, but at, at the end of the day, what really matters is the top of the draft. Those picks, there's just so much value to be gained and lost. Uh, at the top of the draft. Those are the ones you really have to nail down. The Jets were able to do exactly what we wanted them to do, get Mekhi Becton in the first round, and they got their number one wide receiver in the second round after trading down. Uh, so even though there might may have been a few things later on that I would have done differently, uh, it was a very, very promising draft, filling needs uh, and doing it with, without reaching and getting pretty good value. So I'd give them a solid eight, maybe eight and a half if we're going to put a decimal in there because decimals are sort of my thing. Yeah, that's right. Always got to throw in the decimal when you can. (laughs) I thought that, as you said, Douglas got the important things right. And that's really what you wanted to happen. Everything beyond that, we can quibble. And I have my quibbles as well, like you said. But I think the key spots were the ones that we wanted him to really hit a home run. And at least on paper, he did that. Now these guys actually have to go out and play and show us that Douglas was right. But at this moment, it looks like he did a really good job of getting the type of players that we all hoped the Jets would get. So let's start with the first one, Makai Becton. You've been looking into the numbers on him. What do you have? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with analyzing Becton is that, you know, he – is he has this reputation that he's a lower floor prospect than the other top than the three other tackles win the top 15 and that's true he definitely is but I think at the same time his floor isn't quite as low uh, as a lot of people are letting on because I just think that the chance that he is going to be at least average at least solid uh, is, is pretty good and there, that's the reason that he went top 15 there are a lot of guys who get drafted throughout all seven rounds who have height weight speed size 
length, whatever it is, all these exciting traits that give them high upside. There are plenty of those guys throughout the draft, but in order to go in the first round, especially the 11th overall pick for a team that has huge need at a premium position, you got to have a certain, you know, level of reliability to be able to go that high. And Becton's, you know, upside is among the best of, you know, not just offensive line, any player in the draft, but I think his floor is a lot better than a lot of people are letting on. And that definitely has a lot to do with his production in college because he played really well. It's not like the Jets took a guy who's, you know, big, fast, and long, this incredible athlete who doesn't know how to play tackle. He played really well at Louisville. So in the run game, obviously, is where he's most dominant. That's where you see most of his highlights. Uh, and that is where he put up the best grades, the best numbers. Uh, and he's especially good in a zone running scheme. The Jets are known for running that, but uh, I think it's less of a Jets thing, more of an NFL thing, kind of the zone uh, reliance in the league. Most teams in the league are becoming pretty reliant on zone concepts. But he, Becton was really effective uh, in Louisville's offense, which was really heavy on zone plays. He had an 80.9 grade uh, from pro football focus on zone runs. That was at the 92nd percentile among all tackles in the nation. And his overall run blocking grade was at the 91st percentile. So run game, he's dominant. Pass protection is where the questions are. But overall, he still was pretty good in pass protection. Only 12 pressures given up, over 303 snaps in protection, 82nd percentile uh, in pass. In his pass blocking grade is 82nd percentile. His pressure, his pressure rate allowed was the 72nd percentile. So those are pretty good numbers. And, you know, I think one thing that you have to remember when looking at the numbers of these NFL prospects, guys who are getting drafted, is that you, know, you have to be pretty dominant in college to get to the NFL. These guys getting drafted are a small, small portion uh, of the players who actually play in college. So most of them were pretty good uh, or elite in college. So I, I think you want to look for a baseline uh, in terms of these guys. Hopefully, you know, top 30%, top 20% at their position. So Becton, with his 70th, 80th percentile kind of range with his pass blocking numbers, is, is pretty good. It, it's it's decent. It's acceptable. You definitely like to see better. And his peers, Thomas Wirfs, Wills, were better than that. But we're, it is good enough to where, you know, he wasn't bad. You don't have to teach him. There's a lot he has to work on. There's a lot he has to get better at. But we've seen him play. He, we've seen him play at an adequate level, or a really good level in the ACC against good competition. So uh, the floor is good in terms of his production in the ACC. Elite as a run blocker, very good as a pass protector. Uh, but where the question comes in in terms of his pass protection uh, is true pass sets. Pro football focus tracks those. Uh, it's They really try to take out all the reps in which you, you know, you're assisted by play action passes, bootlegs, rollouts, uh, if you get help from your running back, things like that. Becton didn't have to do that too often. He only had 73 of those uh, in this past season with Louisville, which was only about 24% of all his protection snaps. And he did a decent job on those 58th percentile on his pass blocking grade on true pass sets, but it wasn't quite the level of the other three guys who went in the top 15. Thomas, 93rd. Wills, 86th. The worst, 95th. Uh, so again, even though it's above average, it is not quite at the level of the other lead tackles. So that is something that he can get better at. Uh, the Jets can work with him on. But uh, the biggest thing with Becton is just how incredible his physical potential is, what he did at the Combine. And again, we don't want to look too much. It gets talked about a lot. You don't want to – a 40 time for an O-lineman doesn't necessarily mean that much. It's not like we're looking for them to sprint across the field for 40 yards. But it is a good indicator of what they have athletically, and it's especially uh, especially true if they go on the field and back it up. We've seen Becton play, and – 
his mobility, his athleticism is really, really good. Everything you saw at the combine, he did back up on the field. So with him, when you look at his combine numbers, his physical tools, uh, I think it is worth looking at because, again, he went on the field and he backed it up. We've seen him use these things uh, and to create value on the field and play really well. So his numbers are incredible. He ran the, uh, the 40 and he had a 5'10 40 of the 22 players in combine history to run it at over 350 pounds. That is the best time uh, out of all those guys. And by a wide margin, too, the previous record was 522 by a guy out of Georgia. Kareem Marshall in 2003, who never played in the league, went undrafted. But by a wide margin, the best 40 time of someone over 350 pounds. And Beckton was 364 when he ran it. He was the fifth heaviest player to ever run it uh, and had the fastest time at 510 among players over 350 pounds. So that's incredible. Uh, the last guy to go top 15 who weighed over 340 pounds and ran the 40 and under 5'2 was Bryant McKinney in 2002 coming out of Miami. Uh, he played for the Vikings for 10 years, started 131 games for them, was one of the best tackles in the league. So that's a really good comparison for Becton. Uh, there's just not a lot of guys who compare to him in terms of size, speed, athleticism, uh, his height as well at 6'7". There's not a lot of guys to compare him to, but uh, I think one of the things that's been thrown around a lot with him in terms of risk is that, you know, these huge tackles who are, you know, again, he's just so much different. You compare him to the other guys when the top 15 wills Wirfs, Thomas, those guys are athletic, but in terms of size, you know, a lot more traditional. So when a guy like Becton gets picked this high, it's just, it's so different that it feels like there's a lot more projection involved. That's a little bit more of a risk, but you look at the guys who have come into the league and again, it's a small sample, but, the guys who have come into the league who are similar to Becton in terms of size, frame, and athleticism, those guys have turned out to play pretty well. From 2000 to 2015, there were 14 O-linemen drafted. So only guys who were drafted, not counting undrafted. Uh, but from 2000 to 2015, 14 linemen were drafted, weighed in at over 340, and ran the 40 and under 535. And those guys have gone on to produce an average of 33.8 approximate value. Uh, which is AV from Pro Football Reference, uh, 33.8 AV in their careers from those guys with similar measurables and size to Becton. And the average O-lineman outside of those guys, which is, again, a much larger sample, the 660 linemen from 2000 to, uh, to 2015 who are drafted, only 20.5 AV, less than two-thirds of that other group. So uh, I think the key thing is that not whether or not they're huge or to, or whether or not they're huge or long, it's if you have the athleticism to pair at that size, then you should be good. And Becton does have that. And obviously tape is the most important thing. And Becton has that as well. So uh, in terms of being scared of an O-line prospect because of their size, I think you have to look at the athleticism. History shows that uh, if they can back it up with uh, good numbers at the combine. And again, you look at their tape, if they have good athleticism for their size, then you shouldn't have to worry. They're just as fine of a bet as the average O-lineman, arguably even better. Uh, but if they don't have that, that athleticism, that's where the struggles come in. Uh, the guys who weighed over 340, and or actually the guys, any O-lineman who ran the 40 and 545 or higher, only averaged 15.5 AV. So uh, only about 75% of the average lineman. So if you're big, you don't have athleticism, that's kind of worrisome. But in Beckton's case, he's huge, and he has the athleticism. That's a big plus. Those guys have turned out to be much worse, uh, much more successful than the average offensive line pick has. So I think that uh, in terms of his size being a risk, it's actually a plus when you pair it 
with that with his athleticism and there's just even the guys who do compare to him aren't that close McKinney was about 20 pounds lighter than Becton was at the combine so uh, what Becton was able to do uh, and again he translated to the field you see it uh, with his ability as a down blocker getting out in space to the second even the third level there are plays where Becton will get out and block a safety and knock him out of the screen so um, Becton's athleticism is amazing. It's argu- he has arguably one of the best physical profiles that an O-line has, has ever come into the NFL with. Uh, and the most important thing is that you turn on the tape and you see him using those tools. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. You mentioned Bryant McKinney, who, by the way, his final year at Miami was probably the most dominant offensive tackle I've ever seen at the college level, or at least he's in the discussion I think you're 100% right about Becton's floor, and I've been talking about this for a while. I'm not saying that he doesn't have the lowest floor of the bunch. I think that's certainly true. But I also think that these four guys are all very close, and I think that his floor is a solid tackle. I don't think that his floor is busting out of the league in two years, which some people have said, because Michael, and I'm sure that there are some numbers somewhere that you may or may not have, because I'm not sure exactly, but I can tell you that if you looked it up, you're going to figure out that a guy with that combination of size, speed, power, and ability to maul in the run game is going to, at the very least, be a problem for guys. Now, some of the elite guys are going to be able to get around him, but just to be able to move a guy that big and that fast and that powerful is going to be an incredible task for anybody, even if he doesn't clean up his technique. Now, I think, obviously, they're going to get right to work cleaning up his technique, but I'm saying, worst case scenario, he doesn't touch his technique at all he's still going to be a problem for most guys yeah and and especially in the run game I feel like you look at his run game there isn't too much you can complain about is is he imperfect of course he is most prospects are and he definitely is in comparison to those top guys but you look at him in the run game he's he's already dominant just throwing and against really good competition consistently too I feel like his game against Clemson was one of his best games if not his best game at least of the ones I watched so um in the run game, he should be at least uh, pretty good. At least, again, worst case scenario, should at least be decent to solid as a run blocker because you know he has that ridiculous power and size and athleticism, and he's already shown you that he knows how to use it. Uh, pass protection is where there's more projection. He could struggle there, but you look at guys, again, uh, just go, going back to the stat that kind of brought up earlier, the 14 guys who've been drafted, uh, and again, from 2000 to 2015. So so we're only looking at guys who have had at least five years in the league to kind of develop a little bit. Uh, but those 14 guys who weighed in over 340, ran the 40, uh, and under 535. So we're talking about guys who were pretty athletic relative to – who are huge and also really athletic relative to their size. Those guys have produced about – uh, about 60% more AV than the average offensive lineman has. And uh, it just goes to show that those guys are lasting in the league. Not all of them were hits. There are a few guys who got drafted higher up and weren't exactly dominant. But as a floor, it's not like Becton is going to be a complete liability. He he could be. Any player could turn into a complete liability. But most likely, he is going to be uh, a pretty good starter for them for a long time and the ceiling is unlimited. So uh, again, like you said, his floor is lower than the other three guys. It's more likely that he hits it than those other three guys, but it's not low enough to the point where his, his upside can't make up for it because his potential uh, is certainly higher than those other three guys. Although I think Jedrick Wills uh, is, has a similar ceiling in the sense that he's a high chance of hitting it. Uh, But his Becton's potential is 
extremely high and his floor is not low enough to cancel that out. So you combine those two things. He's definitely worthy of the 11th pick. Uh, You know, obviously, as we were talking about before the draft, we're very happy to have him. But the biggest thing I think is that, you know, he has shown you enough that uh, in terms of his production in college and his technique being good enough to where, you know, even if he doesn't, you know, fulfill everything perfectly, he should be at least uh, a good solid starter for a long time. As Virgil, the wrestler, said about Chris Jericho, his potential is like the breadsticks at the Olive Garden. Unlimited. (laughs) But I agree with your assessment, Michael. I think that the sky's the limit for him, and I also think that people are being way too ridiculous in terms of the floor. And I think that's the case with Denzel Mims as well, because all you heard about was, oh, he can't run routes, and he needs to figure out how to be a more diverse route runner. And I get that. You want that ideally. But if you look at what Mims actually can do, if you look at his body control, if you look at his ability to come down with the ball in 50-50 situations, the way that he blocks in the run game on top of everything else, if you look at his speed, if you look at the fact that he's such a great red zone threat, look at all the times that you see the quarterback just chuck it up in the air in a 50-50 ball in the end zone and he comes down with it. Something the Jets haven't had in a really long time and in fact we were talking before we started recording and I said that not that I'm comparing the two necessarily but there are elements of Denzel Mims's game that remind you of Brandon Marshall. Just the ability to go up and get those balls. You knew that when Fitzpatrick would throw the ball up in the air almost no matter how bad the throw was that there was a pretty good chance that Brandon Marshall was going to come down with it and we were saying That's the thing about the route tree. The route running is a tool to get open. But if you're Denzel Mims, even if you don't get that kind of separation on the routes, you have that size and body control that even if it's a 50-50 ball, you're kind of open anyway because the odds are you're coming down with that ball. So it's just a matter of putting yourself in position to win. And as you always like to say, Michael, winning is all that matters. Doesn't matter how you win. It's that you find ways to win. And Denzel Mims finds ways to win. Now, obviously, you want him to get to the point where he has a more diverse route tree. You want to work on that because if he can really start to develop that, he has a chance to be an elite receiver. But I think, and I'm sure the numbers will bear this out, that even if he doesn't really develop as a route runner, he's still got enough skills that he can become a really good receiver in the league. DK Metcalf is an example of this whole phenomenon. We saw this happen last year where he fell in the draft because a lot of teams talked themselves into focusing on what they thought he couldn't do as opposed to what they knew he could do and the way that they knew that he could win and the way that other teams would not be able to stop him. And it's a similar thing with Denzel Mims. There are differences between the two stylistically, but I think there was a lot of the same groupthink in play here as far as why DK Metcalf dropped last year and why Denzel Mims dropped this year. Yeah, and before we get into the numbers, I really agree with your assessment uh, of just how you kind of laid out his game because the thing with uh, with Denzel Mims is that when you watch him, I feel like uh, a lot of people kind of will look at him and say, all right, he's making all these contested catches. There's always a DB draped all over him. That's not going to work in the NFL. And you know, like you said, ideally he does get better to the point where he is more consistently getting a lot of separation and he doesn't you know, always have to be making these acrobatic catches. But at the same time, that's what he already is going to come into the league and offer you. And for the Jets, they just haven't had a guy who can do that. Robbie Anderson had plenty of great flashes doing that last year. But 
overall, he definitely wasn't coming down with those at uh, an average or above average rate or as much as you would like your top target to. The Jets just really haven't had that kind of, especially in the red zone. Uh, and that's where Mims was really good uh, for Baylor these last few years. But uh, like you said, I feel like just he has that ability to be that kind of guy where even if he's not open, he's open. And that is the type of receiver that Sam Darnold just hasn't had. And you look at Sam Darnold's game and, you know, what he did best at USC, what we like to think he does best now is just that scrambling game, the off-schedule plays, and especially this past season. They weren't really there. Chris Herndon was that guy in 2018. They didn't have him this past season. And that element of Darnold's game wasn't really there as much as it was in 2018 or even as much as was at USC. And Mims is a guy who could really help him unlock that, just give him something to throw up the ball to. And even inside the pocket, it doesn't have to be off-schedule plays. But uh, when you look at Baylor, they just trusted him so often. Mims had 20 contested catches in 2019. That was tied for the second most in college football. They trusted him for – and that was across 41 targets. So he's catching 48.8% of those. Average in college football is about, uh, about 40%, so definitely above average on those contested catches. And the fact that he was trusted for about three throws a game that were considered contested. And again, the criteria is not that uh, it's not that uh, it, it's pretty loose to get a contested target. It has to be something that's, you know, a, a really tough catch. So the fact that they trusted him for over three of those per game just goes to show, you know, how much they believe in, in his talent and the, his ability to come down with those balls. And he came through uh, by catching them at a really good rate. So he brings that to the table. Uh, and I think the thing with his route running is that, you know, even though he can get better with his quickness, just his sharpness, especially stuff over the middle, what he can do is, you know, down the field, whether it's a, you know, a straight go route, uh, a fade in, in the end zone, in the, in the red zone, uh, if he's running an out route, things like that. What he does really well is he can get that last second separation when the ball's in the air, he'll use his hands, he'll use mm-hmm. his power, and he's a really strong player. Uh, he'll use his strength and he'll make sure to use his hands. He has the little nuances of uh, being able to get away with push-offs, things like that, to be able to bind that last second separation so he can make these catches. It's not like he's just, uh, you know, bodying receivers up and, you know, uh, like getting a rebound in basketball. He's, he's just, you know, positioning himself really well. He has those little things down. Uh, it's whether or not he can get uh, before the ball is thrown just with his feet and things like that. But uh, what he can do is use his hands by himself, that separation to make these contested catches. I feel like he has uh, a lot of those little kind of little tricks down that a lot of the best receivers really have. Antonio Brown has made a career out of doing things like that. Just using your hands at the right time, uh, just pushing off in a way that's not actually pushing off to buy yourself that separation. That's what he does really well. Uh, and it comes through with his production in terms of contested catches. But uh, in terms of range, the intermediate range is where Denzel Mims is really good. So from 10 to 19 yards downfield, he had uh, nine touchdowns in 2019. That was the most of any player in the nation. A lot of those were just jump balls in the red zone, which they throw up. Where He would run a fade. They throw the ball up. He would come down with it uh, with a ridiculous catch that would make one of his 10-minute long highlight reels. Uh, but he is really productive in the intermediate range, caught 33 out of 53 targets in that range. That's 62%, which is really good. The average around there is generally much lower than that, probably about 45, 50%. Uh, a 92.3 receiving grade from PFF in those throws. That was 11th best in the nation. So intermediate range, red zone, contested catches. He brings all of that to the table, should be able to bring all that to the table uh, immediately. And this is somebody 
who's an elite athlete too. So we're not talking right, about right. a guy who's slow or anything like that. And I think that's big to bring to the table because there are guys who can win with just size alone. Like they'll just, you know, they'll get down the field, they'll turn around like they're boxing out for a rebound and they'll just, you know, go up and make a big catch. But, you know, Mims offers athletic ability to work with. And I would imagine that if you were to take a look at guys with his size and speed combination, there's a pretty good correlation with success. And then on top of that, again, you're looking at somebody that isn't just a size speed guy, though, because it's funny. A lot of people will say, oh, he doesn't get separation. But then you tell them, "Okay, he's got the size, he's got the speed. And then they say, oh, yeah, well, plenty of guys have size and speed and don't make it in the NFL. And then you start hearing about guys like Darius Hayward Bay. But the thing is, yeah, you can have size and speed and not make it. We've seen guys like Stephen Hill do exactly that. But what separates Mims from guys like that are the other skills, the skills that those guys didn't have, the stuff we were just talking about in terms of his hand movement, the way that he buys separation at the last second, understanding where the ball is, the location skills, winning those contested catches. There's so many things that he can already do that those guys never could that even if he doesn't develop into a great route runner, he still should be able to be a good receiver in the league for a long time. And so that's why I think it was silly for these teams to talk themselves out of drafting him because then they're missing out on a guy who can do all these things. And like we said with DK Metcalf, they said all these things to discount him and let him slip all the way to Seattle at the end of the second round. And the same thing happened here with the Jets with Denzel Mims sliding all the way to number 59. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see what happens because, you know, we've been confident in a lot of guys who haven't turned out to be good. Maybe the league will be right about him. There's something we don't know about his game. But for, for me personally, I'm really confident in him uh, and everything I've seen. And because like you said, there's just there's not a lot of holes to pick in his game. He's got the size at 6'3", 207. He's got the speed at, uh, four th- at 438 uh, in the 40. That's 90th percentile among receivers. His speed score, which combines his 40 time and his weight, that's at the 96th percentile. He's got the length, 30, uh, 34-inch arms, 33 and 7-8ths eight, to be exact. That's 93rd percentile. So he's got the catch radius. He's got the explosiveness. His broad jump, 94th percentile. His three-cone, 90th percentile. Athletically, it's there in terms of touchdowns. 28 touchdowns over his last uh, three seasons. That was, uh, I, I believe that was fourth most. I don't have it in front of me right now. I'm pretty sure it's fourth most in all of college football. So athleticism there, size is there, production is there. Can he win contested balls? Yeah, he can do that. Can he win in the intermediate range? Yes. Can he win in the red zone? Yes. There's just, he does a lot of things well and he's their number one target. They trusted him in contested situations very often. It's not like he was just getting open, you know, catching balls in the middle of a wide open uncovered zone and just taking it 80 yards. Like he was beating people. Like he was making these tough catches he was, you know, buying himself just enough separation to be able to make those catches uh, and making them in really key situations. He has uh, not the best after catch ability, but he has that ability to catch it, you know, run a quick stop route, catch it, turn up field, make one guy miss, uh, get beyond the first mar- first down marker and turn a five yard check down into first down. He can do that. Uh, his run blocking has to be mentioned. It's he's definitely one of the best blocking wide receivers in this class. Should instantly be. Uh, the best blocking receiver the Jets have had probably since Brandon Marshall. His his will to block and his his ability to sustain blocks is just really impressive. There are so many times he'll just drive uh, his defender out of the screen on these blocks. And just like every other play, it feels like 
you watch his when you're focusing on his games, he's uh, putting on uh, putting a really good block on tape. So his blocking, size, athleticism, production, like it's so hard. Drops are the one thing. Drops are the one thing he did struggle with, but the positive there is he got a lot better in 2019. Uh, he had seven drops against 66 receptions 2019, so a 9.6% drop rate, which is slightly below average. Usually it's about 7 to 8%. Uh, that's a lot better than he was in 2018 when he had 11 drops against 55 catches. That's 16.7%, uh, which is really bad, but he got a lot better with that in 2019. So, you know, drops are something, you know, you could time criticize. In terms of versatility, he didn't catch many screen passes and, even though I did praise his yak a little bit, it's not really strength of his game. Uh, and there was one play, I believe, he had a fumble, which he's running within the open field. Uh, so his yak game isn't the best. They didn't rely on, uh, rely on him on screen plays. Uh, didn't have too many plays out of the slot. Only four catches out of the slot. So, but those are minor concerns. You know, okay, he doesn't. You know, he can't make plays in the screen game. Not all receivers have to be able to do that. Uh, those are just minor, uh, minor nitpicks for his game, but. Overall, there's there's just so much to like about him, and I feel like, like you said, he could be the next DK Metcalf, a guy who kind of slid because of a few different, con- a few minor concerns, and a lot of teams just kind of talk themselves out of him for reasons that you know don't make a lot of sense. But as Mims himself said, he's going to prove a lot of people wrong and make them regret it. I really feel like he is. I really feel like he is. There aren't a lot of prospects that, uh, for me personally, I feel like that I talk myself into and say like, all right, he's going to be good, but. Mims really feels like he could be that guy. That's what we're all hoping for, Michael. That's what we're all hoping for. It's going to wrap up this edition of Chronicles of Nania. We broke down Makai Becton and Denzel Mims this week. Next week, we're going to get into some more of the draft picks. Michael's got some fantastic numbers, as always. Don't forget to check out his work at JetsXFactor.com. And follow him on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really be grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.